0: Good morning, church family. I need to say that I love being together with you on Sunday morning. I love being over there just a few minutes ago, hearing your voices, lifting your lifting your voices to the Lord. It's good to be together, isn't it? And so, by the grace of God, we want to um, we want to seek Him together. By the grace of God, we want to be together, not to check religious boxes, um, not to just go through the motions but to lift our voices because we love Jesus and because Jesus loves us. And uh, so we have that opportunity together as a church family every Sunday. And I hope that we uh, have that opportunity still now, right, as we go to God's Word, to hear from Him and to uh, get His help and uh, not to just go through the motions, but to ask the Lord to show us what He has for us. So grab your Bibles and open uh, to Acts chapter 6. My name is Derek, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to get into God's Word together in just a moment, but I'll give you a second here to turn to Acts chapter 6, and then before we start reading, I do want to um, give some introductory thoughts, get us uh, thinking and moving in that direction, but uh, grab your device, open your Bible app, or open the Bible on your lap to Acts chapter 6, and then we'll start walking through that together in in a moment here. So, Perhaps you've heard it said, or perhaps you've been the one to say it, something like this. Man, I wish Jesus was here with us in the flesh. Or, or maybe a variation of that. Have you said that or have you heard someone say that? Or maybe a variation of that would be, um, I wish I could have been back with Jesus back then when he was on earth, walking around, teaching his disciples. And I think sometimes when we say something like that, we're sort of thinking it would have been so much easier to follow Jesus if we were with him, right? I think sometimes we might, if we're not careful, think, yeah, but if I could have just been there like those 12 disciples and walked in his footsteps literally, then, then I'm sure this following Jesus thing would be easier. Well, the first, those 12 disciples had Jesus with him, right? And we think, yeah, that would have been awesome. But as we study the God's word and we look what it was like to walk with Jesus, what else do we know was true for those 12 uh, disciples? That they traveled around with Jesus without, and had no home? That they left their families, left their livelihoods, uh, left all that was familiar In order to be with Jesus, what do we know that Jesus said to those early disciples? That you will experience persecution, that I send you out like sheep among wolves. Jesus told them they would experience being tried before courts and experience beatings. And then in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 on the screen, it's Jesus' words. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, can we put that on the uh, screen, please, Matthew 10? If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. In other words, if you cling to your life, if you're living for self, if we're only self-focused, if we're only looking for what's convenient and comfortable, we're going to lose our life in the eternal And if in in the life to come, but if you give up your life, if we deny ourselves, if we look to live for him, for Jesus, then we will find life beyond this life. And so um, before we get to our passage in Acts 6 this morning, I, I wanted us to ask ourselves some of these tough questions. How far does your faith extend into your everyday life? How how far does my faith extend into who I am and what I do and how I live and where I go and what I say? When do you follow Jesus? When? What days? To what extent? Uh, Only certain areas of our life? Are, are, Are we only able and willing to submit certain areas of our life to Jesus? Areas that are easy and comfortable to give over to him, but then we cling to control over certain areas of life because I, I know better and I need to be in control of that and, I, and God, I'm going to hold on to that peace. If people outside of us, if people that we are around are looking at our lives, who would they say you're living for? You? Would they say Derek is living for himself or would they see something else? Church family, I mean, this is difficult topics, but I think this is where we got to start is by by prodding our hearts a little bit. Do you seek comfort and convenience? Or are you willing to sacrifice? So hopefully your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 6. That's where we're going to start here now. And um, we'll start in uh, verse 8, but... Look back to verse five with me for a moment. Acts six, verse five. We met Stephen, and how does God's word describe us? Describe Stephen to us there in, in verse five. Full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was this follower of Jesus who had been rescued by Jesus and received God, the Holy Spirit, living within him. And Stephen's, it was apparent in Stephen's life that he was full of God's grace and full of the Holy Spirit. And, and one thing that is a result of being full, full of the Spirit is kind of the theme of our whole study of, Acts, of the book of Acts. And we look back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it'll be on the screen, where we are reminded that as followers of Jesus, we are to be his what? Witnesses, as followers of Jesus, we all are to be his. Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it reminds us that we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit and that we are to be Jesus' witnesses, his testifiers, his proclaimers, his ambassadors. And I want to say about witnesses, I think sometimes we read our Bible and we know that we're supposed to be disciple makers or tell others about it. Can we back up one slide for a second? I'm not quite there. As we think about Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and we think about our role as witnesses, I think sometimes we think this is just a a job, like a a checklist, a a response, a task that we're supposed to do. And as followers of Jesus, we kind of think we know this task, but we sort of put it in the optional category and we think if we're going to get around to it. And I just want to suggest that witnesses is not a, a task on your Christian checklist, witnesses is your identity. It's your calling. If you have been rescued by God from sin and death by putting your trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God himself lives within you, you are a witness. Period. That's your identity. That's your calling. It's who you are. And so I think, and now we can go to that next slide. As we proceed this morning into into our passage that we're studying this morning, I think we're going to see this. I think we're going to see in our passage this morning that what's on the screen is true that we as followers of Jesus, as Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses, I think you will see, we will see by an example of Stephen, but we will see that that is how we are to live our lives as well, that that as Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses, our lives will proclaim Jesus by the way we live, by the things we say, and in being prepared to suffer or even die. So as you see those things on the screen... And as we walk through the life of Stephen a bit this morning, as we read God's word, I want us to kind of put ourselves in these shoes and ask ourselves these tough questions. If we are to proclaim Jesus with our lives, then if people watch your life, who gets the glory? If people see how you live and the things you do and the things you're engaged in, not just Sunday morning from 10.15 to 11. First who's But also Monday through Saturday, notice I didn't give a specific end time. But Monday through Saturday, if people watch our lives, who gets the glory? And if we're supposed to be proclaimers of Jesus with our words, what do people hear you talking about? What what do all your words throughout the week say? And if people are, and if we're to be Jesus proclaimers even in death, even in the way we endure suffering, potentially even death, when it comes to the end of our earthly journey, what would people say who who we were in our death? Just another light topic from God's word, right? Okay, Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people, full of God's power. Part of Stephen's life was that he was able to do miracles because of God's work in and through him. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrianians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and they were disputing with Stephen what he was talking about. Verse 10, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the Holy Spirit with which he was speaking. So what do we know so far about Stephen's life? We're saying that we are to be witnesses for Jesus in our lives. What do we see so far in God's word about Stephen's life? If we think back to last week's passage, the first time we meet Stephen, we hear that he is full of of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and then God, through his people, calls him into service. One of the first things we learn about Stephen a few, pa- a few verses back is that he's a servant, a servant leader. And that that was one of the ways he was giving his life for Jesus was by being involved and caring for other people so that God might get the glory. And then in this passage that we just read, what else do we see is true about Stephen's life? That, that he is doing great wonders and signs. And then he's teaching as well because he's explaining things about Jesus. He's pointing people to what God has done through Jesus, and, and then it, so much so that he's teaching that, that it creates a dispute, and, and these, some people want to disagree, and yet they could not withstand Stephen's wisdom because of the spirit with which he was speaking. So God is working in and through this servant leader, Stephen, and that's where we see the realities that we're, that we're asking God to show us this morning, that the, as, a Holy, as the Holy Spirit empowers you. Follower of Jesus as a witness, you will proclaim your you will pro- proclaim Jesus with your life, with the way you live, with the things that you do. So again, we ask ourselves, if people are watching your life, who gets the glory? What does your life indicate you're all about? Verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men. This is his opponents that are, that are disputing with him. Uh, these, these Jewish leaders that have not yet found life in Jesus. When they secretly instigated men and, and stirred up the crowd, we have, by saying to them, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon Stephen and they seized him and they brought him before the council. This sounds very familiar if you've been studying Acts with us. They they keep, the, the apostles, the followers of Jesus keep proclaiming Jesus and they keep getting arrested and they keep getting questioned. And here Stephen's no different. He's seized in verse 12 and brought before the council and they set up false witnesses who said, this man, Stephen, never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and he speaks words against God's law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. The temple, And we'll change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. It reminds us of elsewhere in Scripture, maybe this visible manifestation of the holiness of God. We've, we've seen in Scripture Moses' face glowing because of being in, in the presence of God. And here, the, as they accuse him falsely, the council sees Stephen as the face of an angel. So what have we just got in those verses? In verse, in verse 11, we get these charges against Stephen. Here's what the, the council seizes him, drags him before the council, and accuses him of things. And what they accuse him of is that, that Stephen is speaking against Moses, this, this, this important leader of God's people in history. They, they, they accuse Stephen of speaking against Moses, speaking against the laws of the, that God brought uh, through Moses, S- that Stephen is speaking against God, blaspheming God because he is against the temple. They're accusing Stephen of being against this holy place where, where God is present and where his people gather. And as we get into chapter 7 in a moment, we will see Stephen's response. But before we get there, look at what we just read in those last few verses of chapter 6. Luke, the author of Acts, makes sure to tell us that these are false charges. This is not true of Stephen's heart. This is not what Stephen has been speaking. He has not been speaking against Moses. He has not been speaking against God's law. He is not blaspheming God. Luke makes sure that we know that these are false charges and that those are not the things that Stephen is communicating. And so then when Stephen gets a chance to open his mouth and give his answer... You'll see him explain those things. They accuse him of of being against Moses, against God's law, against God himself and the temple. And Stephen will have something to say about that. So Acts chapter 7, verse 1. The high priest, the leader of the religious people, the religious Jews, said, Are these things so? He begins the questioning. Of Stephen? Are these things true? Are these accusations that are brought against you true? And Stephen said. And so I just want to say, we're about to start with Stephen's speech. And so I want to say this that, you know, we said that we are, our lives are to proclaim Jesus by our, our lives, our, our actions, the way we do things. And yes, absolutely. Our lives should point to Jesus. Stephen's good deeds and speaking and teaching and serving, they gave glory to Jesus. That was an important part of Stephen's life, yes? And that's an important life of you as a follower of Jesus, is to serve, and and our life should proclaim Jesus. But friends, church family, there comes a time to use words. We sometimes talk ourselves into only sharing Jesus through our actions. We sometimes talk ourselves into, I'm not going to use words because it's more comfortable to to point to Jesus by the way I am and the way I act. And so just catch this, that it's important that our lives point to Jesus. But there comes a time when as you follow Jesus and as the Spirit of God dwells within you and is helping you interact with people, there, there will come a time to use words. And it may not be a speech like we're about to hear from Stephen, but there comes a time To use words, the gospel, the gospel good news of what Jesus has done for us, the gospel by definition is a proclamation. By definition, the gospel good news that Jesus lived and died and rose again and made it possible for you and I to have life with God, by definition, the gospel is proclamation. It's it's good news to be shared. And so, yes, our lives demonstrate our life in Jesus, but there comes a time to use words because as the Holy Spirit empowers you and I as witnesses, we will proclaim Jesus with our lives and with our words. So Stephen is facing these accusations that he's against Moses, he's against the law, he's against the temple, and Stephen's about to launch into this speech with recounting the history of God's people. And at first it might seem kind of long, and at first you're not maybe sure where he's going, but let me just help you before we read and here's Stephen's speech, let's just think about where he's going with this. Because I'm going to read Stephen's speech uninterrupted. Because the word of God is powerful. Because the word of God is living and active. And it might seem long, and we might not be sure what it's about all the time. But I'm going to read in a minute here, I'm going to read Stephen's speech uninterrupted so that we can hear the way God worked through Stephen to use words. But as you listen to his speech, though, here's some things to listen for. He's coming to speak to these, to God's people, to these Jewish people who have been waiting for the promised rescuer, who have known for their whole history that God would send a rescuer, the Messiah. And yet, some, these early followers of Jesus, have recognized that Jesus came that he is the Messiah, that he's here, that he's lived and died and rose again, and that he reigns at the right hand of God. That's what these early Christians believe. But Stephen's speaking to a group of Jewish people who have not yet recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And so Stephen's going to point out to them that they have a long history of rejecting God's leaders. Stephen's speech is going to point out to these people that they have a long history God sent you Joseph, you rejected him. God sent you Moses, you rejected him. And now guess what? God has sent his son, the Messiah, the promised rescuer, Jesus. And guess what? You rejected him. That's part of what we're going to hear in Stephen's speech. You're also going to hear these kind of things. You're going to hear perhaps the Jewish people think, oh, you know, we're special because of the promised land. The land is where God works. We might hear Stephen's argument against that. You're going to hear that uh, that the Jewish people might say, um, they're putting a lot of stock in the law. We need to follow God's law. God's law is how we find life. And we're going to hear Stephen saying, no, following God's law is not how you are saved. But God's law points us to the Savior. And we might also know that the Jewish people were saying, hey, we're special because we've got the temple. We've got this building where God dwells, and that's what makes us special, and that's where God reveals himself. And we're going poss- to hear Stephen explaining that God is not limited to a building. All right. So Stephen's speech is going to take me about five or six minutes, and I'm going to read it uninterrupted. And you can follow along in your Bible if you want, or you might find it easy just to, 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 to watch and listen. But here, uh, having been seized, having been questioned for his faith in Jesus, Stephen is in front of this council. He's lived a life that points to Jesus, but now his words, now he opens his mouth and has a chance for his words to point to Jesus. Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, Before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. So then Abraham went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave Abraham no inheritance. In it, not even a foot's length, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though Abraham had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in the land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after they shall come. and after." That they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him, their brother, into Egypt. But God was with Joseph. And rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made Joseph ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. And on their second visit to to Joseph in Egypt, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob with his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise grew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. And so this new king dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born. And he was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When Moses Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, Moses defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Moses supposed that his brothers, his fellow Israelites, God's people, would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust Moses aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and so he drew near to look. And then there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground." I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them, to rescue them. And now come, I will send you, Moses, to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and judge? This man is the man that God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man, Moses, led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites that God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. God is speaking through Moses there, having them look forward to the promised Messiah, Jesus. God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one, Moses, who spoke, uh, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers refused to obey him. But thrust Moses aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's happened to him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to this idol and were rejoicing in the works of their own hands. But God turned away and gave them over to, the, to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices? During the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel, You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god, Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers, here's Stephen continuing to speak about the history of Israel, about their forefathers. Our fathers had the tent of witness. This tabernacle, tent, holy place, gathering place of God, had the tent of witness in the wilderness just as he... As he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before the fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked God to find a dwelling place, a place where God could dwell. But it was Solomon who built a house for God. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? All right, I said I would read it uninterrupted, but there's one more paragraph of... Stephen's speech that we'll get to in a moment. As Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses, we proclaim Jesus with our lives and with our words. And so Stephen, filled with the Spirit, just gave that speech to his accusers, and he was pointing out their continued rejection of God's leaders, that God would send them people to show the way and to show his people how to live, And they had rejected one after the other, and Stephen is building a case that they have now rejected the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised rescuer, Jesus himself. Stephen was accused of being against the law, being against Moses, being against the temple. But really, what was Stephen doing in preaching, and what they took offense to was that Stephen wasn't against Moses. He was pointing them to whom Moses was pointing toward. Stephen was letting them know, I'm not against the the law of God that Moses gave us. I'm wanting you to see who the law points to. Stephen, in his passionate speech, said, I'm not against the temple of God. I just want to make sure you know that God is bigger than temples. Stephen wasn't against all those things. Stephen was pointing to what they Pointed to. Stephen was wanting people to see that Jesus was the arrived rescuer. So, primarily as we study this long passage of Scripture today, we want to be reminded that as we look at Stephen's life, he was a witness to Jesus by his life, his words, and even his willingness to to suffer and die. And as he is an example for us, we want to learn from God's word today that we as followers of Jesus are to be his witnesses and that our witness will proclaim Jesus in our lives, in our words, and even in being prepared to suffer and die. But I do think it's important to just pause for a minute here and consider Stephen's speech because Stephen's speech wasn't just for those leaders then. Because God's word is living and active and absolutely relevant for our life today, I want to really briefly have us consider what does Stephen's speech have to do with me? What does Stephen's speech have to do with me? With you, And so uh, an author and a pastor commentator named Kent Hughes helped with this uh, ideas that I'm going to share with you. And that is this, that first of all, we think we, we see that the Jewish people were saying, hey, our, we have special privileges because we live in the promised land. And Stephen's speech made it clear that God's sovereign working in the world is not limited to the promised land. God's sovereign working in the world, he can bless anyone, anywhere, anytime. We see that in Stephen's speech about, about Abraham, that long before Abraham, who never even got to set foot or have an a, a inheritance in the promised land, God was working in his life and blessing him. So God goes beyond the boundaries of the promised land. That's what Stephen's speech was saying. And so where does that challenge us? Well, is it possible that we like the Jewish people could think that we are privileged because of the place where we live is it possible that because we live in a privileged nation this is America is not Israel you cannot substitute the word America in your Bibles for where it's talking about God's people Israel but nonetheless we live in a a privileged nation Is it possible that because we live in such a place where so much good has been done and so many godly people have been raised, is it possible that we think we could inherit God's blessing just because we live here? That isn't the way to Jesus. Salvation doesn't come by living in a place because God is sovereign over all things. He can bless anyone, anywhere, anytime. We also see in Stephen's speech what he was responding to is that uh, the Jewish people perhaps were putting too much weight in God's law thinking that following the law if I just obey if I do all these things that I can be saved and Stephen wants to make sure they and we know that the law cannot save that religion and checklist following and that trying to obey and trying to match up and trying to do all the things and trying to be a good person and trying to is not where our salvation comes from. The law points us. The law, God's laws, make us aware of how needy we are. God's laws point us to the fact that we need the rescuer, Jesus. And so, like the Jewish people, sometimes we too might still try to make God's laws serve us because we think it, we think it's it's easier to understand. We think it's maybe easier to accomplish. We think, okay, I got a list of things I'm supposed to do. If I can just do them, then I'll know I'm good. I think sometimes we too, like the Jewish people, could make God's laws serve us. If I follow the rules, I'll get what I want. I'll follow the laws, and then maybe God will like me more. So we carry around God's laws, and we mark it, and we quote it, and we act religious, and yet we fail for God's word to take heart in our soul, in our heart, in our mind, and change our very lives into the likeness of Jesus. That's what Stephen was cautioning God's people about. And, and the Jewish people perhaps had the, that, that Stephen was speaking to, his accusers perhaps had the impression that they were special because we have the temple. We are special because God gave us this building that we could come to. We are special. We are God's people because of this holy place the temple and so they thought Stephen was against the temple, but Stephen wasn't against the temple. he just wanted people to know that God has no boundaries, that God is not limited to a building, that you cannot contain God in things that humans made right that's what we heard in Stephen's speech. and so where does that apply to us well Even though we might know better, church family, faith church family, even though intellectually we might know better, might we accidentally sometimes still trick ourselves into thinking that just because we gather in a building that we might receive God's blessing? But God's salvation doesn't come to you from gathering in a building. God's presence is not limited to faith church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. God is so much bigger than that. He can bless, bless anyone, anywhere, at any time. He is not limited. To this building. So, Stephen wanted people not to look to human leaders, the law, a building for salvation. Stephen wanted people to look beyond those things to salvation that only comes through the Son of God, the rescuer Jesus. Could we, could you and I, church family, could we be like Stephen's accusers and have all these things live in a privileged land, have God's laws in our hand, have a building in which to gather? Could we have all these things and yet, like Stephen's accusers, miss Jesus? Miss the rescuer? Do all the things, but miss God's free gift of salvation that he offers to you and I when we put our faith... In Jesus Christ alone. When we realize I can't save myself, it's not what I do, it's all about what Jesus has done. His sinless life that we cannot live, his substitutionary death on the cross, dying the death that we deserve, taking the penalty for our sin, and his victorious resurrection from the dead to new life, where he reigns on high at the right hand of God, ruling over all things and making it possible for you and I to be forgiven of our sin, be connected back when adopted into God's family, and given life. Life, real life life now abundant and full and meaningful on this side of eternity and yes on the other side of our earthly life life eternal in the presence of God that's what Stephen wanted them to know and so here's the last paragraph that Stephen had a chance to get out of his mouth verse 51 You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which Can you imagine why anybody's going to get mad at Stephen? He's telling some rough, serious truth, though, right here. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Everyone God sent to you, you persecuted and rejected. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. Righteous one referring to Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and you did not keep it. So Stephen is saying to these people that in murdering Jesus, they are continuing this pattern of opposing God's purposes and rejecting God's messengers. They've just continued to do the same thing that their forefathers had done. Stephen's speech, it would seem to me, as we're reading through the Bible here in this section, it would seem to me that Stephen's speech gets cut off. Because I'm not sure that was where he was going to end it. But so now I'm just speaking from my own opinion. But the way his speech ends here, I think he got cut off. I, I think he's calling God's people to repent. I think he's letting them know they've rejected the promised rescuer. They've, they've betrayed and murdered Jesus, the Son of God, and then I think he would have gone on to proclaiming the gospel good news that life is found in Jesus. So so, where do, so I said earlier, our lives need to point to Jesus. I said earlier, our words need to point to Jesus. There comes a time in our life where we not just are, are living out our love, our God's love to other people, but where we need to use words. And so church family, we're going to take a moment here just to ask ourselves, do you know do you know and understand the gospel? Do you know and have the words to articulate the good news of what Jesus has done to take broken, sinful wretched, deserving of hell people, and transfer them out of death and into life, out of darkness and into the light. Do you know the gospel? Do you understand the gospel for your own heart and for your own salvation? But also, do you know and understand the gospel so that you can articulate it to those around you who desperately need to find life in Jesus? The gospel is the spectacular news That God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus lived the life we cannot live. He died the death we deserve. He was raised again to new life. That is the gospel good news. Is that because of Jesus, we too can find life. The gospel is the spectacular news that God, who the creator of all things, created you and created you in his image to be like God And God created you to be in his image, and God created you to be in relationship with God. He created human beings to enjoy fellowship with God. But the gospel good news also tells us some bad news before the good news comes. The gospel also tells us that humans, in our broken and sinful rebellion against God, in choosing ourselves, in choosing to go our own way, in choosing to disobey, have broken that relationship that God intended— broken the relationship we have with God, and are and, and deserving of God's wrath against sin. But the gospel is spectacular good news because God didn't leave us there. He sent his son, the answer, the solution, the rescuer who lived and died and rose again and paid the penalty that we deserve so that we could be made right. And we could be in relationship with God. And so our relationship could be back together. And the gospel is spectacular good news that I want to remind you, church family, it's not just enough to know the good news. We respond to the good news. When you you realize that you can't save yourself and you realize that God rescued you through Jesus, we respond. We receive God's free gift of salvation by putting our trust in Jesus. Jesus by realizing we can't do it on our own, and we look to God and we say, thank you for sending Jesus, thank you for saving me. So do we have an understanding of the gospel? Whether you've been in here for a a day, or whether you've been coming here for years, whether you've been walking with Jesus since last week, or whether you've been walking with Jesus for 40 years... Church family, do you have the understanding of the gospel that results in your own salvation? Most importantly, this is the reason Faith Church exists, is to proclaim this message so that you will cross out of darkness and into light, out of death, and into life because of calling on Jesus. And so we, we want us to be understanding of the gospel for our own salvation, and, and then also for the opportunity to articulate that to those who need it. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, if you've received God's gift of salvation and put your trust in him, but you have not yet obeyed Jesus' command to be baptized, we want to encourage you that on Palm Sunday, we're going to have a chance in this room to celebrate the spiritual milestone with those of you that are going to choose to be dunked in the water, symbolizing your death to your old self and being raised again to new life in Jesus. The water is not our salvation. There's nothing magical about being dunked in the water. We are not saved because you choose to be baptized. You're saved because you're a follower of Jesus. And then following his command, you let us know that you want to be baptized as a proclamation, as a public testimony, as you saying, I'm with Jesus. And your church family gets to erupt in cheers because of that. And so on April 10th, Palm Sunday, we're going to have that opportunity in this room. To baptize those who, who let us know that you're interested in baptism and give us a chance to talk with you about it. Talk, call the church office, talk to me or any of the staff team. Next Sunday after church, we're going to have an. Op- we're going to be available for you to have conversations with us about baptism. We'd love to celebrate that spiritual milestone with you. But Holy Spirit empowered witnesses proclaim Jesus with our lives and with our words. And so, church family, people are listening to you what are your words saying? When people hear what you are talking about, when people hear the words that come out of our mouth, what do they, what do they think we're about? Or who do they think we are about? If, um, if, if having the language... To articulate the gospel would be an area that you would like to grow in. There's a lot of ways to do this. One simple little resource that you might be interested in is a little black booklet that's in the chair, chair back in front of you. And there's a little black booklet there in the back of your chairs in front of you that say, "What is the gospel?" And that would be a great just starting point to make sure that you are learning and growing in your understanding of the gospel for your own heart and your own salvation. But also, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've already been walking with him, you've been saved for a while, this, that booklet might help you with the language of articulating the gospel so that in your everyday conversations with the people that put, God puts in your life, you could share the good news of what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. So I would love you to grab one of those. Feel free to keep it. Feel free to take it home. I would love you to read it, but I don't want you to read it right now. <laughs> grab it. Put it in your pocket. Uh, Give yourself a homework assignment that that it would be good to brush up on that gospel language and take that home with you. But I don't want you to read it now because I want you to hear how this passage ends as we uh, learn from the example of the life of Stephen. Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, Jesus' accusers, the council, remember what he just said, you stiff-necked people who blow it over and over again and reject the Savior. Verse 54, and now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, waiting for Stephen to come home. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But his accusers cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at Stephen. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul We are in a church family, we are in a series of messages called Witnesses. Our theme verse for this series is Acts 1-8 that we already looked at earlier and we're going to look at again right now. Acts 1-8 reminds us that as followers of Jesus, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit and you are to be his witnesses, that it's not a task to check mark; it's your identity. As a follower of Jesus, the Spirit lives within you and you are testifiers, proclaimers to the greatness of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so far, as we've studied the book of Acts, here's what being a witness has resulted in. As we've studied the first few chapters of the book of Acts, being a witness for Jesus has resulted in being arrested and released, being arrested and released, being arrested and beaten. And last week, the apostles who had been arrested and beaten and released rejoiced, counted, amazed and rejoicing that they had been found worthy of suffering for Jesus. And so we've seen in, in the book of Acts, God's protecting, guiding hand. God is with his people. He cares for his people. He works in his people. He works through them. He orchestrates circumstances. He can open up prison doors if he wants. He can have officials release people if, they, if he wants. So we've seen God's care for his people in that way, that he's with us, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he works in us. But when we look at that verse on the screen and we are reminded of our identity as witnesses, let me now point out that in the original language that the New Testament was written in, in the Greek, here's the word on the screen, martis, that is translated into the word witness. The Greek word martis is what's translated into your identity. To be a witness. To have your life and your words point to Jesus. To be that kind of witness is to be a martyr. The same root from which we get the word martyr. This word became known in the early days of the church as witnesses who proclaimed Jesus right up to willingness To die. So now, Stephen, so the apostles in in the book of Acts have been arrested and released, arrested and beaten, and counted themselves rejoicing and counting themselves worthy. And now we have Stephen, and in God's sovereignty, he's not released. He is executed for his witness, for his life and words proclaiming Jesus, and he becomes the first martyr. And we don't, and I don't want to get graphic. We don't need to take too much time on it. But it might be helpful to consider that stoning was not a quick death, was not a clean death. This Method of execution at the times that was perhaps carried out by mob, basically mob violence in this situation. This was apparently such a lengthy process and such hard work that the people doing the stoning needed to take off their shirts and coats. Brutal. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In the midst of being stoned, we see Stephen cry out with two prayers. The first is knowing that he will be with Jesus. Verse 60, and following to his knees, Stephen cried out with a loud voice, Lord Do not hold this sin against them. Stephen, in the midst of being stoned to death, prayed two prayers. The first, entrusting himself to God because he knew that in Jesus he was just fine and safe and would be with the risen Lord Jesus. And his second prayer was to forgive his accusers and those that were beating him to death. And when he had said this, he fell asleep which is the Bible's odd way of saying he died. So when your earthly life is over, when my earthly life is over, and people perhaps gather at a memorial service, what do people say about your life, about your words, and about who you were in death? Like Stephen, Stephen was a Holy Spirit-empowered witness for Jesus, and that was seen in his life, in his words, and in his preparedness to die for Jesus. And so like Stephen, you and I, as followers of Jesus, proclaim Jesus with our lives, our words, and our willingness and readiness to suffer and die Because it's not all about us. It's all about Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for saving us. Thank you for this vision of Stephen seeing Jesus at the right hand. Thank you, Father. That even in the midst of our difficulties, even in the middle of our sinful rebellion against you, even in the ways that we choose to go our own way and do our own thing and not live for you, God, thank you for the true reality that Jesus is alive and well at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning and interceding on our behalf. Thank you, God, for the hope that we have because Jesus is at work in our lives and is ready to bring us home when our earthly journey ends. God, would you just every day impress on our hearts that it's not about us, it's not about our efforts, it's not, not about our striving to save ourselves, but all about your grace, your love. Help us to focus our eyes on Jesus and on the cross where he made it possible for us to be forgiven of sin and put back in relationship with God, rescued to new life. And God, I pray that our, I thank you that we praise you and rejoice that our salvation doesn't end there, that not only have you brought us out of darkness and into light, out of death, into life, but God, that you are at work in us, equipping us and empowering us by your Spirit's work in our life, giving us the ability to live for you, equipping us to live for you, empowering us to obey you, And so, God, we pray as a church family that our lives would honor you, that we would be witnesses who proclaim Jesus in our lives. And, God, we pray that you would help us to use our words to proclaim Jesus. God, would Faith Church be a church family full of witnesses who proclaim Jesus in our life, in our words, and even, God, in our readiness to suffer and die for the sake of the gospel, for the name of Jesus, for the salvation of those who need him. God, I don't think we relate to this in our lives, in our culture, in our country. I don't know if we think that dying for you is even a possibility. And yet, God, I pray that I would be prepared to give my life for you. I pray that our church family would increasingly be ready to give our lives for the glorious good news of the gospel. And God, even if we don't have an opportunity, if we are not asked to give our physical life, I do pray that we would still lose our lives for your sake, for your great name. As your words in Matthew that we looked at earlier, God, We think of Jesus' words that if we cling to our lives, if we stay focused on ourself, that we will lose life. But that if we give up our lives, denying ourself, taking up our cross, living for the mission of Jesus, that we will find life. I pray that would be true as you work in our lives this morning. So having absorbed that and having considered the the weightiness of, of Stephen's life and death, God, may we now have a few moments to sing and to lift our voices and to be reminded of the good news of the gospel, that you are with us, that you don't leave us in our sin, that through Jesus we can have life, and that you living within us are living through us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.